listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Uh, Today I want to deal with, and we're going to jump right in, today I want to deal with seven uh, proven wealth building principles that are found in the Bible. Seven proven wealth building principles that are found in the Bible. You know, it's like uh, I saw uh, Melissa say in the comments, you know, I'm, I'm believing for financial freedom. And uh, that I believe with all my heart is God's desire for his children. I do not believe that it is God's desire for his children to struggle financially. That's not my, that is not, I don't hold that uh, belief in any way, shape or form. I don't believe that God wants you to struggle uh, financially as a child of God. Uh, it's not his plan. Um, it does not make him happy. Uh, it does not show your full dependence on him. He doesn't get glory from you struggling financially by any means. In fact, if you go back and study uh, the book of Acts, when the early church was founded, one of the things that you're going to discover is that um, they had all things in common, the Bible says, and there were no needs found among them. And so every need was met in the early church. Every need was met. Later, when the apostle Paul uh, was ministering and, and you know continuing on in his ministry, uh, we can see that though there were Christians that were uh, lacking financially, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was working to alleviate their need, right? So he speaks to the Corinthian church, who obviously had an abundance, and he says, I'm going to receive an offering for you so that we can, uh, from you, so that we can bless these Christians that are uh, in need. So Paul, by the work of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually bringing finances to those who are in need to have their needs met and so that they'll have more than enough to do what they need to do. And he promises even the Corinthian church that if you'll be obedient to do what the Lord wants you to do, and of course, remember when he's talking to them about their offerings, he said, don't give in response to pressure or manipulation. You must each determine in your hearts what you will give. But he said, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And so he's, he's showing them that their response, hey Josh, their response uh, to the Lord will determine what they receive from the Lord. And so he then goes on to tell them, you also will be blessed. You're blessing these Christians who are in need of a blessing, but then when you do it, you also will be blessed and you'll abound in every area. So that's what Paul's teaching. It's not God's desire for his children to struggle financially. You could read uh, Jesus teaching about the heavenly father in Matthew chapter seven, as he addresses uh, this very subject. And in Matthew seven, Jesus says, which of you, you know, earthly fathers being evil, which of you, if your child asks you for a fish, do you give them a serpent? And if they ask you for a loaf of bread, 
Do you give them a stone? No. He said, you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you're uh, evil. That's what he's, that's the point he's making. Your nature is evil. So remember this, Jesus had not died yet. He had not been buried, resurrected or ascended. So none of them were new creatures in Christ Jesus. They were all essentially dead in trespasses and in sins. So that's who he's addressing. People that are dead in trespasses and in sins. And the Bible says that you being evil, give good gifts to your children. So how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those that ask him? And so Jesus is making the point that the heavenly father is an even better father than any loving earthly father. He blows any earthly father out of the water because he is the perfect loving heavenly father. He does not want, you know, you, you, you go through Matthew chapter six, just a chapter before that. And Jesus is teaching about natural possessions. What will we eat? What will we wear? Where will we live? He said, don't let these thoughts dominate your mind because that's what the uh, the sinner does, the unbeliever does, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. He's in context. He's speaking about natural things. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? Where shall we live? He said, if you'll put God first, then he will take care of you in all of these other matters of life. And so that's the whole point. God doesn't want his children to struggle financially. In fact, that's not just true for the New Testament church. That was true in the Old Testament for God's people. That if you read through Deuteronomy, God didn't want the nation of Israel to struggle financially. It was actually part of their promise. If you read Deuteronomy 28, it was actually part of their promise that if they would faithfully obey the commands that they were given by God, then you go through, it's the verses that we all know. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field, blessed in your basket, blessed in your store. You know, he, he goes on and teaches that they'll be blessed in every area of their life. So we understand that it wasn't even God's desire for his Old Testament children to struggle financially. His desire was to bless them abundantly. In the same way, we have a better covenant established upon better promises in Hebrews. We, we are told that. So we understand that God's nature does not change. His personality does not change. So the same desire he had for them is the same desire he has for you, that you don't struggle financially. I'd like you to think about something real quick. This, this is mind blowing to me. God created the first man, Adam, but did you ever stop to think about the fact that God refused to create a human being in his likeness and in his image until he had first created a place of abundance in which to put him. Think about that for a minute. God refused to create a being in his likeness and in his image until he had first created a place of abundance in which to put him. So the garden was created first. The abundance was created first. The animals were created first. The earth was created first. 
all the things that were necessary for Adam to live in an abundance were all prepared ahead of time. And once there was a place of abundance, more than enough, an overflow that was ready, God created a man in his likeness and image and then placed him in the garden to keep and tend it and to be blessed by it. That's God's original intention. That's what we would call the creator's original intent was to bless the man and the woman that he created at the beginning of time. It's still his intention. He wants to bless his children. No question about it. But we know many of God's people are not blessed. We know that many of God's children are struggling financially. Is that because it's God's desire? No, we just covered that. It's not God's desire. It's other areas of life that can play into financial difficulty. That's what we're going to discover today. I'm going to give you seven Bible principles that are proven to build wealth throughout your life for the rest of your life. And God put them in place so that we could be blessed so that we could be blessed. All right. So let's jump in and I'm going to give them to you uh, one by one here. First of all, put it in the comments. Thank you, dad. There's my dad in the comments. Love you. First of all is number one, the debt principle. Put it in the comments, put it in your notes. The first principle is the debt principle. Bible teaches on this. The Bible teaches on this, the debt principle. And so I'm looking at that in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse uh, number seven. Proverbs 22, verse number seven. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. So get this in your spirit. First of all, uh, debt is not God's plan for his people. Debt is not God's plan for his people. In fact, even for the Old Testament saints, what was the promise to them? The Old Testament people of God, the Israelites. He said, you will lend to many nations and you will not borrow. Get that. He spoke that to Israel. You will lend to many nations and you will not borrow. So notice his plan even for them was not that they be in debt to nations, but that nations be in debt to them. Hallelujah. Not that they be in debt to nations, but that nations be in debt to them. And so the first is the debt principle. We need to be people who are completely free from debt. Everybody's on a different spectrum, spectrum as far as that goes. There are some people that are in tons of debt. There are others that are just uh, in a little bit of debt. Some are totally debt-free. There are some Christians that are totally debt-free, and I applaud you. Congratulations. But debt causes you to be a slave to the one who lent you the money. The, the issue that we see many times is that people are under such financial pressure because of debt that they feel like they can never get themselves out of it. And one of the issues that people deal with, as you know, in the debt principle is that there's such heavy interest rates being charged on the debt that you have, especially uh, 
credit card debt, things like that, that are such high. I remember I used to work for a credit card company when I was in Bible school, collecting debt, people that were late on their payments, people that owed a lot of money. And I couldn't believe it when I found out that the company that I was working for, the cards that they were giving out to people were set at a 29.9% interest rate, 29.9% interest rate. And that was the legal limit at the time. I think the legal limit has increased now to like 31 point something percent. That is an insane percentage of, in, of interest to pay on a purchase that you couldn't wait to pay cash for. And so there are people that they're in all kinds of credit card debt, but and then, you know, you get this thought process, well, I can just pay the minimum payment and get, you know, but the, the whole thing is it's a trap to keep people in debt for the rest of their life, right? And it is, it becomes a chain around your neck that people aren't able to get free from. It's a chain. And then you're not free to do all the other things you want to do, the things God's called you to do because of the fact you are in mounds and uh, 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 the stress of debt, whether it be credit card debt, student loan debt. I know some people have dealt with things that, you know, were outside of their control. And so they're dealing with medical debt, medical bills, things like that. Uh, but for the majority, let me just say this, the majority of people in America and really probably around the world are in debt, not because of emergencies, not because of medical problems, but because of the fact that they don't have the self-control to wait for the thing that they want to purchase. A recent statistic I quoted a couple of broadcasts ago, that if the average American had a $500 emergency, they would not be able to pay for it without putting it on a credit card. Think about that. The average American, that includes the average Christian, would not be able to pay for a $500 emergency without putting it on a credit card, which shows you that uh, Americans are leveraged. You know, they're, they're, they're literally mortgaged up to the neck in debt and they can't seem to get out. And this is a principle. God wants us to be free from debt completely. You say, well, how do you get free from debt? Well, it does take, I mean, if you're already in it, obviously, uh, you, you've got to take active steps. I'll tell you a book that helped me immensely. And many of you may have read it or have heard of it. It was a book by Dave Ramsey entitled the total money makeover. And he's a Christian and he gives you Christian principles. Uh, and I read the total money makeover years ago and he deals with the seven baby steps of, of financial freedom. And I'm telling you, if people would just simply follow those steps, it would take you into a place of more than enough. They're biblical principles. But the first thing he does after setting you in position to not be affected by emergencies is to get out of debt, to get out of debt. And that has to be the key. And I'm telling you, I, I would recommend that every person that's in debt right now, read that book, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. They're, they're biblical principles. We know God doesn't want his children in debt. So what do you do to get out? He gives you a strategy to get out of debt as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible. Listen to Jess's testimony. We, uh, the Lord tell us to never get in debt again last summer. 
And then my car was totaled in the fall. We waited and dealt with one car, just bought two new cars with all cash. Thank God. It's powerful. The Lord will give you the ability to operate by cash. He'll give you the ability to operate by cash. No question about it. And so he doesn't want you to be in debt. And so that book will help you give you a strategy to get out of debt. Now, one thing I made up in my mind while taking and and operating by those strategies back then, I will never pause my tithing to get out of debt and I will never pause my giving. If the Lord's spoken to me to give, I'm giving. And I'm going to tell you, we were in, uh, at the very beginning of our life, all kinds of debt. And I'm telling you, I literally, I told the Lord, you know, you're always going to be first. I'll never stop tithing. I'll never stop giving. And we gave and gave. And I'm going to tell you, it was less, it took less than two years to clear out all of the debt. We, we cleared it all out. But in that time, I think it was a year and maybe a year and three quarters. We never stopped tithing and we never stopped giving largely when the Lord spoke to us to do so because his kingdom is first and we were completely out in less than two years. Um, Jesse, yep, that's the book. Um, Kim said, would you clear your savings to pay off a credit card? Absolutely, I would. Absolutely, I would. Because you're not, your savings aren't doing you any good because you're losing money on the interest of the credit card payments. So you're actually going to end up paying far more than your balance by taking a longer period of time to pay it off. So I would would follow Dave Ramsey's plan, which is to put $1,000 into an emergency fund immediately. If you've got more than $1,000 in that savings account, I would put 1,000 of it aside, like he said, and then secondly, take the rest of it, if you can, out of that savings account and pay that credit card debt completely off and close the account and pay cash for everything moving forward. So you've got the, the step one of the baby steps is to have a $1,000 emergency fund so that if you have an emergency, like a blown tire or something else, you're not having to put that on a credit card. You have cash set aside. So put that aside, $1,000, and pay that credit card off with the savings. Savings aren't doing you any good. You're losing that money anyway by waiting. So don't wait anymore. Do it. Make it happen. Um, and, and get that credit card debt totally paid off and close the account and pay cash moving forward. The debt principle is serious. And so I pray this helps you, Susan. So same thing, uh, Maxie, do do it, get that book, follow it. And so uh, uh, follow the principles. We've got to get out of debt as soon as possible. Now, according to him, the debt that he's talking about, his, his strategy does not include the mortgage of your home. That's another step in the process, but everything but the mortgage of your home. So credit cards, medical bills, student loans, cars, everything else get out of it, except for the mortgages comes later. Um, but the second thing deals directly with the same second principle, biblical principle. And that is number two, put it in the comments, the contentment principle, the contentment principle. One of the reasons people are in so much credit card debt is because they've not learned to be content with what they already have. They've not learned to be content with what they already have. And so uh, let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this will help you to understand the power of this principle. Number two is the contentment principle. 1 Timothy 6, and let me read you verses 6 through 10. Listen to this. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. So what is this talking about in context? It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to be rich. It is wrong to love money and not be content with what you have. That's what's wrong. Paul's teaching the contentment principle by the Holy Spirit, that you shouldn't walk around in covetousness, in greed, with a love of money, always trying to come up with schemes to get more, and then it becomes the love of your heart and an idol in your life that brings you into destruction, brings you into total destruction. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to be wealthy. And in fact, God wants you to have more than enough, but he does it not that you'll, so that you'll love money. He doesn't want you loving money. He wants you loving him. And if you love him and serve him and obey him, the blessing will come to you. That's exactly what takes place. And Christie's exactly right. The keeping up with the Joneses mentality creates stress and anxiety, and it causes people to go into credit card debt because they're buying, it says, like Dave said, buying things that you can't afford to impress people you don't even like. (laughs) Yeah, buying things you can't afford to impress people you don't even like. And so who cares what other people think? Who cares what people think of your car? Who cares what people think of your house? Who cares what people think of your clothes? Who cares what people think of your phone? Doesn't matter. Who cares? Contentment. You know what's better? Being debt-free and operating in a way that God's called you to operate so that you're not under stress, you're not under pressure, and you can give like you want to give. You can bless others like you want to bless them. You can bless the poor like you want to bless them, as we're commanded to in Scripture. See what I mean? And, And it's so much better to live debt-free and out of that stress and out of that bondage. I'm not going to be a servant. So the contentment principle, you've got to learn to be content. Paul said that, be content. You know, one of the, that's one of the dangerous things about marketing is that marketing, constant marketing, uh, well, do you remember that statistic about how many ads we're seeing a day? Do you, do you remember that? We saw that in a book. It was like how many times we're being marketed to in one day through ads, social media, and otherwise. It's so many times. If it's not into the thousands, it's easily hundreds. We're just seeing it all the time. Stuff on the side of web pages, as you're scrolling ads, through your stories ads, stuff on TV, stuff on the radio, stuff on the, it's, it's all around us. Every magazine, it's, every, it's everywhere. We're just being constantly marketed to every single day. Well, the issue with that is consumerism has taken over the Western world. And so we always have this psycho, this, this, uh, this psychology that's set in place. I've got to have the newest thing. I've got to have the newest thing. I've got to have that. I can, th- what I have is not enough. I got, and they're, they're masters at making you feel like what you have is not enough. They are masters at making you feel like what you have is not enough. And so they'll market to you, market to you. You got to have this. Ooh, it's new and improved. Look at these features. Look at this. 
And we've all fallen prey to that. We've all added to cart and proceeded to check out. All of us have, myself included. All of us have been there, but that's the trap. It's the uh, keeping you in a place of discontent. That's what marketing is. That's what marketing is. It's, it's whole job and purpose is to keep the viewer in a place of discontent with what they currently have. Oh, if you thought what you've got now is good, you should see this. Look at the features, look at shiny and new. Look at all that it does. Look at what it can do for you. Look at, and then you're always like people, you know, in the commercials are so blown away by your new product. Oh my goodness, what a phone. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's just, it's insane. You know, it used to make me laugh a lot. I'll just tell you, this used to crack me up, man. When I was growing up, I would watch the commercial, because back then we had, there were actual commercials on television trying to sell us kids board games, tabletop board games like Battleship or, you know, Sorry or Monopoly or whatever. And, you know, I had ne- I've played board games my whole life. I have never seen somebody have as much fun playing a board game as the people inside of those commercials. It's like, oh my God, you sunk my battleship. I mean, I've never seen that in my entire life. But man, they make it seem like in the commercial that if you don't have that board game, you are missing out on on the greatest fun anyone could ever have in the history of the world. They do that in commercials. They do that. They try to make it like, man, look how successful you'll be if you have this product. Look how people will like you if you have this product. It's, it's totally, it's totally a, uh, a marketing tactic that puts you into discontent. Jess said, you've never played Mousetrap with my six-year-old. I remember that game, Mousetrap. And so it's absolutely true that they want you to be discontent, but the Bible commands us to be content with what we have. You know, the Lord spoke something to me that really is, I feel like it's, it's a revelatory thing. And you can write it in the comments, you can write it in your notes. And, and the Lord spoke it to me like this. Um, when everything means nothing to you, I can give you anything. Put that in the comments. That's what the Lord spoke to me, I heard it clearly. When everything means nothing to you, I can give you anything. Well, let me even simplify it. When everything means nothing, he can give you anything. When everything means nothing, God can give you anything. That's the key. You have to get to a place in your life where everything means nothing. If God told you today to give it away, you would do it without hesitation, out hesitation. When everything means nothing, God can give you anything because he knows that nothing he puts in your hand will become an idol in your life, will become something that you weren't willing to sow if he told you to sow it. None of those things would be true for you. If everything means nothing, he can give you anything because you just become a steward. That's all we are. We're stewards of what belongs to God. Belongs to God anyway. If you understand covenant, everything I have belongs to the Lord. All my money is God's, not 10% of it, not a tithe. All of my money is God's. My house is God's. My, my car is God's. My, everything I have, my, my watch is God. I, everything. 
everything. And so uh, when you understand that I'm just a steward of what belongs to the Lord, which is everything, even my body, the Bible says my body belongs to God. I've been bought with a price. Amen. Melissa said, so should I return an expensive purchase I made and use the money to pay down bills or should I give it all away to people who no? you should absolutely return the expensive purchase, take the money and pay down your, your debt. No question. And, and don't make purchases until you're out of debt. Nothing that's not necessary. Nothing that's not necessary. When everything means nothing, God can give you anything. Contentment principle. Got to be content. Number three, it's the priority principle. Put that in the comments. The third biblical wealth building principle is the priority principle. The priority principle. I'm reading this from Proverbs 21. Now we're back to Proverbs. Proverbs 21. And I want you to see this clearly because this one is important. This one is very, very important. The priority principle. Proverbs 21. And verse 20. The Bible says precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. A foolish man devours it. Listen to the new living translation. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. I'd like to see how the uh, New English translation says that. Proverbs 21.20, and I'm looking in, in the, uh, the Net Bible. There is desirable treasure and olive oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish person devours all that he has. So the, the, here in the original Hebrew, he swallows it. The, the imagery compares swallowing food with consuming one substance. The fool does not prepare for the future. The fool does not prepare for the future. So the purpose of this proverb is for us to understand wise people do not consume everything that they have. They don't spend everything in their bank account. They don't take their entire tax return and go to Sunglass Hut. You understand what I'm saying? They, they prepare for the future. So the priority principle is, I refuse to spend all that I have. There should be money always going to some sort of a savings account. You should have extra. Jesus himself had a money bag with a treasurer who actually stole money from the treasury on a constant basis and they never ran out. You know why? Because Jesus had extra. Jesus wasn't running around as a pauper with not enough money and trying to figure out how they were going to get by. Jesus had 12 men that traveled with him plus others, Luke chapter 8. They had a money bag. They had excess money. You don't need a money bag unless you have excess money. And a treasurer, which you don't need unless you need somebody to mine the treasury. And the man stole from the treasury, Judas, and they still had enough. So tell me uh, you, how we could look at Christ's life and even say, well, no, you got to just spend it all for the kingdom's sake. No, you don't spend it all. There should be extra. There should be savings. 
There should be savings. And that's how every one of our lives should run. We don't consume everything we have. We don't consume everything we have. There should be a savings. There should be something put aside for the future. And I'll explain why in a minute, because there's a purpose for this. There should be more and excess for the future. We operate out of abundance. That's God's desire. Operate out of abundance. So the, the, the fool consumes or swallows all of his resources, uses it all up. But the wise, no, the wise has extra in his house. Amen. In her house, extra. And that's the key. It's the priority principle that you've got to set a priority. God is first. God is first. I make sure God has the tithes and the offerings that he requires. I'm led by the spirit in my giving. No question about it. I make sure God is first always, but then I don't make sure that I take the rest and consume it all upon my own lusts. No, that's, that's not what I do. I make sure that I'm abiding by the contentment principle, but also the priority principle. I'm setting aside for the future, setting aside for the future. Praise God, Liz. Wonderful testimony. You spoke a word over me in February regarding debt cancellation. Things have hung around for years. One of my cars was paid off finally in April and one of my cars jumped down thousands and I don't know how. Praise God. It's going to happen fully, Liz, in Jesus' name. So it's the priority principle. We make plans for the future. Wise people do that. Wise people do that. We have, you should have goals. You should have giving goals. You should have saving goals. These all should be goals in your life. Don't just say, well, I'd like to save money. How much money would you like to save? For example, one of the principles that Dave Ramsey deals with in the total money makeover is that when you finally do pay your debt off and you get to the saving phase, he said that you should now fully fund what he calls your emergency fund. It's your savings account. He said, depending on what type of a job that you work, that you should save between three to six months worth of your budget in that fully funded emergency fund. So what does that look like for you? Well, if it costs you uh, $3,000 a month to live, to pay all your bills, including gas, including groceries, including everything you've got to live, if it costs you three grand a month to do that, then Dave recommends that you save between nine and $18,000 in an emer a fully funded emergency account. 9,000 would be three months, 18,000 would be six months worth of bills. So after your credit cards are paid off and your debt is fully gone, uh, then you fully fund that emergency. That's your goal. You say, I want to save up to six months worth of bills so that I don't feel like I'm going check to check. And now you, if you didn't work for six straight months, you could live and pay off any bills you had, all your groceries, everything you need. What you wouldn't feel it a bit because you've got that emergency fund. And so that's the key. And so now as we're dealing with this priority principle, we start to realize there should be extra left over. There should be extra left over. And so uh, fools consume or spend whatever they get. Number four, here's, here's the fourth one that every one of us need to engage to build wealth. It's the planning principle. That's number four, the planning principle. Every Christian should make use of the planning principle to prepare for the future. I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. This is the planning principle. Luke 14, 
verses 28 through 30. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They, they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. So what's the whole point? He said, before you start a project, count the cost. So that's planning. You should plan for the future. What's it going to take to bring your family to the place that, that God wants them to be? What's it going to take? For example, you say, you say what do you mean by the, the, your family, bringing your family? Well, if you have children, what's it going to take for your children? What's it going to take to, if they're going to go to university, if they're going to go to college, what's it going to take for you to pay their college? What's it going to take? Do you have daughters? If you're going to pay for their wedding, what's it going to cost for you to pay their wedding? There's another goal. And I'm now planning toward that goal. I have two daughters, which means I've got two weddings to pay for. So what's it going to take? What's it going to take for me to get to that place where I'm going to be able to know ahead of time, this is a goal for the future. I have to pay for two weddings and I got to know what it's going to cost me so that I cannot be taken off guard. You know, you get to the end of the year and people are like, I can't believe I owe that much in taxes. If you're like a, a self-employed person, you have your own business or whatever. Can't believe I owe this much in taxes or whatever. Well, there's ways you can know ahead of time what you're going to owe in taxes so that you're not taken off guard by that thing. So it's a planning principle for the future so that no matter what, we're not taken off guard. And we can, we can look and say, man, uh, I, I know what my goals are. I know what the Lord's spoken to me to do. I've got, you know, things we're getting ready to do in the ministry. We have goals. I've already got it fully quoted out what it's going to cost to do the things that we're getting ready to do. It's not going to take me by surprise. So not only did I fully quote out what it's going to cost me to do in the next phase of ministry, I then put a buffer between what it actually costs and what I'm going to have prepared because there are always extra costs involved, as you guys know. There are always extra costs involved in anything you do. Things that you did not foresee jump up and all of a sudden your budget grows. Well, I'm planning for the budget growth ahead of time. I'm planning for those unexpected costs ahead of time so that I won't be taken off guard by the time I get there. What am I using? I'm using the planning principle so that by the time it's time to do the thing God's called us to do next, I'm like, oh man, now we have to get all these resources ready. No. It's been ready because we've been planning toward it. We're planning toward it. And so number four is the planning principle. It will keep you in a place where you don't have to now go back into debt because you didn't plan properly. I shouldn't have to go back into debt because I didn't properly plan. Number five, the temple principle. Put it in the comments. That's number five, the temple principle. I'm going to look at Haggai. Chapter one, Haggai chapter one, and we're going to read verses three through 11. And though this is an old Testament passage, it, it shows us God's heart. It shows us the way that God thinks about things. Okay. So I want you to get this in your spirit. No, I, I understand. You know, by the way, we're doing Bible study made simple. So any Bible study made simple students that may be watching right now, You'll know that as we read this passage from Haggai, that 
This was not written to the church. This is not written to Christians. It's not written to us. It was written to the Old Testament people of God, but it still shows us God's nature and his heart and his desire, and he does not change. Shows us the way he thinks about things regarding interaction with his own people. So we can take that as a principle or or an application into our own lives as we understand what he's saying to them. And so, and by the way, if you didn't even know that we do Bible study made simple, which is a a course that we're in the middle of teaching people how to properly study the Bible and go going through different Bible studies. Right now we're in a deep dive on the book of Galatians and it's been powerful, but maybe you'd like to jump in when the course reopens again in the fall, you can go to our website and sign up for the uh, waiting list. And we're going to be opening again, what in October? In October, the course is going to open up again. I think we're nearing already like a hundred more people that want to uh, be a part of the, the course. We already have 300 and some students that are in the course right now. You can be a part of it as well. Bible study made simple. We'll post the link in the comments for you. I'm telling you, it's one of the best things we've ever done for believers and it'll help you immensely. Gives you the principles to study the Bible for yourself properly. So Haggai chapter one, verses three through 11. And, uh, this is what the Bible says. Then the word, the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withheld the dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. So why is that? Because notice what they did. They focused only on themselves, only on their own wealth, their own luxury, their own desires, their own wants, and let God's house fall to ruins. What's the key? I will always put God's house first. Always. God, it's a God above me principle. Always. It's not what I want. And then if there's anything left over, what God wants. And many Christians live that way. It's what I want. And then if we've got some leftover money, you know, we can put that in the offering at church. No, I've made up my mind to put God first in every area of my life. And if you put God first, he'll put you first. The reason that they were going through this judgment, this penalty was because they had put themselves first over the Lord God. They let his house be torn up, lie in ruins, and they're building for themselves luxurious homes, beautiful homes. God said, I'm so angry about it 
that I've made sure that the heavens don't rain on your fields. And if you do bring harvest home, I blow the harvests away. I've made sure to prove a point to you that I should be first. And that if you put me first, then I'll bless you abundantly. And so the temple principle, what does that mean? It means I've put God's house first over my house. You know, people, people are, are, are funny, man, but I, I'm, you know, I did that broadcast on tithes. I believe tithes are still for today without question. I believe it. I ha- there's nothing in the Bible that, that, uh, stopped the tithe. There's nothing in scripture. There's nowhere where Christians were ever commanded to stop tithing. And all of the original Christians were Jews that would have been tithers and would have continued in their tithing. Nobody was ever commanded to stop tithing. And that continued on, uh, even 30 some years after Christ's resurrection, it was happening in the book of Hebrews, which was written to Christians. And, um, I've made up my mind. I don't care, uh, what it looks like that, God will get his tithe and his offering first before anything in my house. I would, and this will never happen because God honors those that are faithful, but I don't care if it was between me eating that week and God getting his, what's, what's reserved for him, he would get his. I promise you that. And I've lived that way for my entire life and definitely for my entire adult life that God is first. And I don't care if it came down to me not having and God having, he'd have, and I would go without But let me tell you, because I live that way, I will never go without. God would never allow me to lack for putting him first. That's the point of this principle. Put me first and then I'll put you first. Make sure that my house is first in your heart and then I'll make sure your house is blessed. And I can tell you, I have no shame in saying that. I have no shame. The other thing is people that all want to get mad at me online. I've got no church. I don't receive tithes. I've got no agenda in teaching this. I'm an evangelist, but I'm a believer just like you. I pay tithes just like you and give large offerings just like you. So I'm a part, I am in this with you. I've got no agenda. I don't receive your tithes. I don't receive anyone's tithes. And so uh, I do this because the Bible teaches it and God never stopped it. And so we continue to do it. Number six, the generosity principle. Put this in the notes, put this in your comments. This is so powerful. The generosity principle, the generosity principle. If we abide by the generosity principle, it's a wealth building thing that God gave us. It's a tool that the Lord instituted. He did it, not us. This isn't some man-made idea. It was given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit because we serve a heavenly father who wants to bless us even financially even financially. So the the generosity principle, what does it say? Well, we can look at uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians as he's explaining to the New Testament church what they should expect when they sow their seed. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse six, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, all, in all things, all, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he is distributed freely and is given to the poor. His righteousness endures 
forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and uh, bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way, in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So I want you to see this very clearly. This is not just saying, you know, sow seeds, you know, uh, financial seeds, and then you'll, you know, something, you might get joy. You might, you might have more friends. You might have a job opportunity. That might be true, but notice this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He's, he's talking here about the, uh, the example of a sower, someone who's a farmer that plants crops. There is no farmer in the world who expects to plant apple seeds and get orange trees. In fact, if we jump over to Galatians uh, chapter six, where Paul is again dealing with the subject of financial giving, financial giving. Uh, if we start in verse six, Galatians 6, 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Whatever one sows. Notice that. Whatsoever a man sows, whatever one sows, that thing, that will he also reap. If you sow love, you'll get love. If you sow friendship, you'll get friendship. If you sow finances, you get finances. That's the whole point of the passage. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It's, it's, it's not, there's no farmer in the world. Why do you think that God continually refers to giving finances as sowing in an agrarian culture? Why? Why is that? Because they understand already living in an agrarian culture that when I plant seeds in my field, those are the things that grow up and become my harvest. If I want corn, I plant corn. If I want wheat, I plant wheat. If I want apples, I, pr I plant apple seeds. You don't get different harvests for, di for the same seed. And so God has the ability to even cause more to take place. But notice in Galatians and in Corinthians, he's telling us that whatever we plant is what we'll reap. And so finances reap finances. And it's God who decides how you reap that because he said here, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And that's just, that's common sense. You sow a few seeds in a field, you get a small harvest. You sow a lot of seeds in a field, you get a bigger harvest. That's common sense. It's not like some deep spiritual principle. And so uh, we understand that it's talking about finances in both passages. Those are the two clearest passages in the New Testament church where you can see the promise of return. That's the promise of return. You see what I mean? And I don't believe in that, Maxie. Why are people sowing finances for healing? I don't believe in that. Why would I have to give financial offerings? That's, that's, uh, I, I believe that's evil to charge people to try to receive something that Jesus already purchased through redemption. I would never, you, you don't charge people money for healing or prayer, and you don't promise them that if you sow financial seeds, then you'll receive a physical healing. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. That's not what that's for. Either Jesus' blood was sufficient or it wasn't. We're, we're going to go back to the Catholic Church uh, and, and the principles of the Catholic Church where we're ask, asking people to give money uh, for their dead loved ones or to purchase uh, their salvation through works. That's not how we're saved. 
It's not how we're, we receive the redemptive power of Christ through financial offerings. So I believe that's extremely wrong and evil to charge people or have people give an offering for healing. I don't believe it. I would never preach it. I think it's wicked. I think it's wicked to do that. And so Paul's making the point to the Corinthians and the Galatians that what you sow is what you'll harvest. Melissa said, I I gave a large offering out of fear of disobedience because I believed that if I did, my life would get better, but I had to ask for it back and I felt awful, awful ever since. Listen, Melissa, the Bible is very clear. Paul, I just covered it with the Galatians. We don't, God's never asking us to give things that we don't have the ability to give. How do you think people gave money before there were credit cards? You could only ever give what you had to give. That's the whole point. You're not supposed to give out of manipulation. You're not supposed to give out of pressure. You're not supposed to give because you're under compulsion or reluctantly, according to Paul. You give joyfully out of what you have, out of what you have. And are there times where the Lord will speak to you to give something that takes faith? Absolutely. Our seed seed sowing, our, our offerings should always take faith to please the Lord. But God's not asking people. Uh, in fact, there was only one person that I saw in scripture where Jesus specifically dealt with them and told them to sow, sow all they had. And that's the rich young ruler. But the issue was he had an issue with money. Money ran his life. And the Bible says, and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And as my grandfather preached for years, he didn't have great possessions. Great possessions had him. He was locked into what he had. It controlled his life. It was an idol. And Jesus knew it by the spirit, apparently, and told him, if you want to be perfect and follow me, sell all you have, give the money to the poor. Did Jesus ever tell his disciples to do that? Not once. In fact, we know Peter, even after being a disciple, still had boats, still had a home that held his wife and his mother-in-law and could fit the disciples in Jesus. So Peter didn't sell all that he had and give it to the poor. He still had possessions. But notice how Jesus dealt with that rich young ruler because he had an issue with money running his life, controlling his life. Amen. And so the generosity principle is clear. The Lord tells us that, that if we will be obedient and sow and be generous, notice even when we give to the poor, the Bible says that he that lends to the poor is lending unto the Lord and the Lord will repay him. So even the Lord will bless you for uh, blessing the poor for giving to those in need or sowing into his kingdom. I believe so, Aaron, that if you give, God will uh, enlarge your, well, your revelation is, is enlarged by uh, receiving the word of God, preaching and teaching. And then, yes, it does prove that you're not, mammon is not your God because it's not controlling your life. You can't love God and money. So one of the things that happens, I believe, through tithing and giving offerings, it's a test of your heart that says, Lord, money does not control my life and I trust you as my provider. Amen. Amen. And so the generosity principle. And then finally, let me deal with this. Number seven, the inheritance principle. The inheritance principle. Hmm. Proverbs 13, verses 21 and 22. Proverbs 13, 21 and 22. Trouble chases sinners while blessings reward the righteous. Verse 22, good people 
leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. So there is the good person, Proverbs 13, a good man, a good woman leaves an inheritance, not just to their children, but to their children's children. Hallelujah. To their children's children, a good man. So notice this, that the righteous should have a plan to bless not only their children, but to bless their grandchildren. Hallelujah. Wonderful thing to be able to do. And what is it going to take? Well, it takes the, the planning principle ahead of time. It'll take the generosity principle. It will take the debt principle. It'll take the priority principle. It takes all of them to get to this final one, the inheritance principle where you are building wealth through scripture because the Bible says we should be able to do it. A good person gives an inheritance to his children's children. There should be the ability to bless your grandchildren. And that's a level to where like, you're not just struggling to get by and you're not just trying to get, get something into your children's hands, but even their children's hands. And notice that if we'll put all these other principles in place, it puts us in a place of abundance that we can then bless even our grandchildren. Hallelujah. Even our grandchildren. I watch my father do that. I watch my uncles uh, do that. I watch uh, our pastor do that. It's a, it's a wonderful blessing that when you have uh, decided to abide by scriptural financial principles, it puts you in position to even bless your children's children. Hallelujah to even bless your children's children. I'm going to tell you uh, just right off the bat that most people, especially in the Western world, you know, they act like they don't have enough or they don't have, you know, there's not enough time. We don't have enough money, not enough resources. Um, we can clearly see that people live beyond their means. That's not faith. That's just either greed, covetousness, you know, whatever. Uh, pride, live beyond your means. To live in a place that... You, in, in a situation that you can't afford all that you're doing. That's it's either pride, covetousness, or greed. And if we would be, uh, if we would operate by the contentment principle and put ourselves in position to always be able to, uh, stay free from debt, always be able to save and put things aside, always be able to put God's house first, be generous, all these things, then it puts us in position to have an abundance, to always have an abundance. Again, it comes back to self-control, self-discipline. And if you're struggling today, uh, I would, I would tell you that these things are scriptural principles. That's why I recommended that book by Dave Ramsey, who is a Christian, the total money makeover. If you haven't got a chance to check it out and you're in that problem, get it, follow the steps. They're scriptural steps. They're scriptural steps. I just read a, a bunch of scripture to you that actually backs up many of the principles you'll find in that book, getting out of debt making sure you have things set aside as savings, making sure that you're in position for the future planning. All these things are scriptural principles. They're not man-made and God put them in place for his children so that we could have more than enough so that we could be a blessing in our generation. I'm not called, you're not called to be a liability. We're called to be a blessing to our generation. Hallelujah. We're supposed to bless the poor. We're supposed to bless others. We're supposed to be uh, funding the kingdom agenda that God has to reap the end time harvest of souls. Look at that. Yaniel said, I paid off $55,000 in credit card debt due to Dave Ramsey's teachings. Got out. Praise God. That's wonderful. 
It's wonderful to be debt-free. And I'm going to pray for you today because I'm believing that God will help every one of you. Maybe you've been in that place before where it feels like, man, I've never been content. I've never been good with planning. I pray that God would speak to you today, give you supernatural contentment, and then empower you to live by self-control and to do what you're called to do. You're called to abound. You're called to have more than enough. This isn't an American message. This works around the world, around the world. Hallelujah. So let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your precious people today. We thank you that you're a heavenly father that wants to see us blessed. You're a heavenly father that wants to see us prosperous. You're a heavenly father that wants to make sure we live in the more than enough so that we can be a blessing to others, finance the kingdom, see souls saved. Lord, it's our desire to do that. And so today I ask you, Lord, that you'd empower us to walk in supernatural contentment, that you would give us wisdom in planning, that you would give us wisdom in our priorities, that you would give us a heart to be sowers and to givers and to bless the house of God. Put your house first. We ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I pray that this would be a year of turnaround and breakthrough. Let these last six months in Jesus' name be the greatest months of any six months that we've ever had in the history of our Christian lives. You've already given us a word. It's our year of divine possession. And so, Lord, we'll go where we've never gone. We'll have what we've never had. We'll do what we've never done in the mighty name of Jesus. Give us the faith to accomplish it. Use us for your glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you for using us and calling us into the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into life, life in Christ. Thank you for empowering us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and is fully quickening and strengthening our physical bodies today. I pray for those that are battling in their body today. I pray for those that are sick or diseased. I lose healing, Lord, to them now. Touch them by your spirit. Lord, I pray for those that are depressed, anxious, battling suicidal thoughts. Set them free today and take all the glory. Restore families, restore marriages. In Jesus' wonderful name, we thank you. Let us be a great blessing in the kingdom. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' wonderful name, Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to give you an opportunity to sow seed here at the end of this uh, broadcast. You can go to miracleword.com to sow the seed that the Lord is telling you to sow. But you know, I want to encourage you to partner with me and with Carolyn in these final moments of time. Maybe you've not done so yet, but listen, partnership is important. Jesus had partners. Paul had partners. The early church they partnered with the apostles to do the work of God. We're doing the work of God today. And we're seeing souls saved everywhere we go. We're seeing people changed and healed wherever we go. I'm telling you, these testimonies, we've published them in our magazines. You've seen what God's done for others. You're standing with us to do this and bring this work to pass. What is it you could do on a monthly basis? Ask the Lord. Step out by faith. Maybe you can step out at $100 a month. Maybe you can do $500 a month. Maybe there's people that are watching. You could do $50 a month or 25. Do what you can do where you are and do it with joy, knowing that God's going to bless you for your faith. And those of you that are standing with us in July, uh, we're going to send you uh, Brother Hagin's book, How You Can Let, Be Led by the Spirit of God, for those that are sowing $85 or more. And then, of course, for those at $250 or more, The Blood Covenant by E.W. Kenyon. And if you're sowing $1,000 or more, we're going to include with that uh, the Net Study Bible, 60,000 translators notes, one of the things we read from today, one of my favorite tools. And uh, that's our way to say thank you. If you'd like to receive any of those gifts after you've sown your seed, go to miracleword.com 
forward slash offer and you can let us know where you'd like us to send it and uh, we'll get it out to you as soon as possible. We love you a lot. Tomorrow, uh, being Wednesday, Carolyn's gonna be back with us in the studio, two o'clock p.m. You don't wanna miss that. I love you guys so very much. Thank you for hanging with me today. Have a great and a powerful day and I'll see you again in the morning. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.